Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. From iHeartRadio, this is Missing on 9-11, the story of one woman who vanished on the eve of history and my quest to find her. I'm your host, John Walzak. This is the sound of the lobby of Two World Trade Center, the South Tower, 
Captured on August 25th, 2001, by sound engineer Ben Chia. Ben, a film and TV veteran whose credits include The Wire, Fargo, and The Big Lebowski, made 20 recordings that day. They stand out as high-quality audio artifacts. None have ever been published until now. Close your eyes. Listen. You are in the lobby of the World Trade Center. You're in an elevator only two weeks before 9-11. Only 17 days later. 887. 887 is at New World Trade Center. Do you fellas have a triage area set up somewhere in the building? Can you ascertain that? Because we have injured all over the place. Okay, hold on. All right, thanks. This recording was made at 9.29 a.m. By that point, thousands of victims had been evacuated away from the towers, out of the danger zone. But there was a triage area set up in the South Tower lobby for victims who couldn't walk. Was Sneha there, helping? It's possible, but unlikely. Yeah, hi. I'm looking to find out. I'm a registered nurse. I'm currently working right now, and I wanted to help out. I know they have a a triage place set up at West Chamber. Yes. Is there anything else, uh, you know, any, you know, path I could take to get there to help? uh, Um, What are they doing? Are they calling in nurses or what? I don't think, they're not calling in nurses and doctors here, right? To the triage? I have a site. Yeah. No, no, no. No, no, they're not calling nurses or doctors into the site. They need them to stay at the hospitals because all hospitals are on alert. All hospitals. Yeah. You're working right now at the hospital? I'm working in a a hospital right now. Okay. I was going to uh, go there. 
Okay, no, they, they want all the doctors. Right now, they want all the doctors and nurses to stay at the hospital. Okay. Okay? Thank you. Thank you. Bye. First responders wanted people out, not in, even if they were well-intentioned doctors or nurses. One more tape. 9.52 a.m. A call from the South Tower lobby. Police operator 1381, we have the emergency. Yes, uh, 2 World Trade Center. We have injured uh, people in the lobby of the building. They need medical attention. They're on the south side of the building. However, they're not going to be able to come in that way. They'll have to figure a way in here because we've got debris all over the outside of the building. Hold on, sir, okay? Okay. World Trade Center, right? That's correct. Two World Trade Center. Okay. Okay, and they're on the south side of the lobby. Actually, we have more than one occupant injured, but we have, uh, looks like serious injuries. They got the guy sitting up in a chair. I don't know how that happened, but... You got any reports? Hold on for EMS, sir. Hold on. Oh. Five minutes later, the tower collapsed. 9-11 may have been the most photographed event in history, but nearly all footage was captured outside the towers. From inside, we have 911 calls, voicemail, dispatch tapes, oral histories, and emails, but very few photos and videos. It's hard to imagine now, but in 2001, no smartphones, no social media. As it pertains to Sneha, that's critical because any image of her in the towers solves this case. Surprisingly, there was no comprehensive list of footage captured in the towers on 9-11. So I made my own. In the end, I confirmed 45 photos. 33 were taken by one man, John Labriola, as he evacuated the North Tower. 12 were taken by five other people, and two are unconfirmed. As for video, we have dramatic footage from the North Tower captured by French filmmaker Jules Naudet, plus one other short unconfirmed video. So 45 confirmed photos, one confirmed video, two unconfirmed photos, one unconfirmed video. That's it. The most complete account of what it was like in the towers on 9-11 is a book called 102 Minutes by Jim Dwyer and Kevin Flynn of the New York Times. It's a remarkable work of narrative journalism. I read it twice. Jim died last year, 
Kevin still works for the Times. We focused on the floors that seemed to have the most substantial influence on the day, meaning the floors where there are the planes that actually struck and then the floors above. And we split them up among the five reporters. For example, I had the windows on the world, which was the top of the, of the North Tower, and began to try to construct what had happened at windows on the world. I told you I located 49 photos and videos taken inside the towers during the attacks. But there are two things I haven't told you. First, at least one photo was taken at Windows on the World on top of the North Tower only 15 minutes before Flight 11 hit the tower. It shows three men at the Risk Waters Financial Technology Conference. It was taken by a Bloomberg photographer who left right before the plane hit. I don't know the photographer's name. Did they take any other photos that morning? I don't know. Neither does Kevin Flynn. I never had the name of the photographer. Yeah, so, I so someone who took some pictures and then had them developed. And uh, it may have been that Bloomberg just wanted to protect the privacy of that person. Maybe they were upset about having been there and escaped or whatever. But anyway, I, I, I never got that name. Kevin and I also discussed Sneha's case. The Norday footage is at least all-encompassing to the point where I, I think that she probably would have reported in to the command desk had she arrived. I mean, she sounds like she was a responsible person, right? And so I don't think she would just like have freelanced and gone up the stairs without talking to those people. And I feel like she would have been captured on camera in the North Tower. So I, I, I think that looking for her in the South Tower makes more sense because there's no footage of the South Tower. Basically, Kevin's saying that if Sneha ran into the North Tower, she likely would have gone to the lobby command center. The Naude footage gives us a good view of the North Tower lobby, and there's no sign of Sneha. So if she ran into the towers, it's likely she went to the South Tower, and there are zero photos and no video taken in the South Tower lobby. Besides Labriola and the Naude brothers, I don't think that there, and there's certainly some photographs from outside the building from taken from the news photographers, but actually inside the building, I, I don't think that there's much beyond that. Yeah, so I've been able to document, well, the vast majority of what exists, like you said, is the Naude brothers and, and John Labriola's photos. Past that, I've been able to document nine other photographers and videographers, but all extremely limited, many just a single image. From inside the building. From inside the building. So I'm, I'm looking yeah. at it right now, and there are three. There's a videographer and two photographers I haven't been able to confirm. But what I have, one picture from the 48th, three from the 35th, one from the 51st, five from the 74th, two from the 61st. And then were you aware that the FBI recovered a disposable camera um, at Ground Zero uh, that included images taken on the upper level of one of the towers and developed the images after 9-11? No. This is the second thing I haven't told you. It's fascinated me for 18 years. Shortly after 9-11, the FBI located a disposable camera at Ground Zero in the pocket of a man who jumped or fell from one of the towers. No one I interviewed, authors, experts, curators, knew about these photos. I first heard about them in 2003 when I read a Baltimore Sun article by Laura Sullivan profiling the FBI's explosives unit. Three paragraphs immediately captivated me. I cut them out and saved them all these years. Quote, 
There is one other piece of evidence of the events leading to the collapse of the towers that few outside the unit know of. Unit members found a disposable camera in the pocket of a man who jumped from one of the towers. When they developed the film months later, investigators found a chilling chronology of the man's experience that morning. The photos show the man, who appears to be a construction worker, standing at the window as the other tower burns behind him. The photos, which include pictures he took, as well as a few taken by someone else, also capture other jumpers falling. The man looks stricken, his face one of shock and disbelief. His family is aware of the photos, investigators said, but is not asked to see them. The unit's investigators were initially confused by the film because the last pictures on the roll show the man laughing among friends at a birthday party. They took the film to a photo expert in the unit who explained that disposable camera film is developed in reverse. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to Bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. 
It took 11 years to get to the sale. The NYX anniversary sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super-comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. Laura is now an award-winning investigative journalist for NPR. She wrote that article at the dawn of social media. It was quickly forgotten, but it stuck with me. For more than a decade, I've tried to get the photos from the FBI. I failed. And I know what you're thinking. Why do you need these photos? If they're graphic and upsetting, if the man's family doesn't want to see them, why should you? To me, they're the Zapruder film of 9-11. The only photos captured high in the towers, presumably above the point of impact, during the attacks, before the towers fell. They're singular and unique, a point of view unlike any other, documenting a monumental moment in American history. There's an ethical debate to be had about which, if any, should be published, but that's for a future date. Because so far, the FBI has refused to release them. In fact, it appears the FBI lost the photos, raising critical questions about how the Bureau cataloged and handled 9-11 evidence. Since 2010, I've filed multiple FOIA requests trying to get the photos. Every time, the same answer, no. First, the FBI said it couldn't find any responsive records. Then it said that I didn't reasonably describe them. I appealed the latest denial. The Department of Justice denied my appeal. The DOJ said my request would, quote, require the FBI to conduct an unreasonably burdensome search. Your request is not reasonably described because you did not characterize the records sought in such a way that they could be located without individually pulling and reviewing thousands of files, end quote. That's a crock of shit. We're talking about extremely unique, one-of-a-kind photos, 9-11 evidence, But the FBI can't find them without individually pulling and reviewing thousands of files? So, two possibilities here. Either the FBI is stonewalling, or the FBI lost them. Yes, lost. If I ask you to find your car keys, and you can't locate them without digging through a thousand boxes, what would you call that? Last year, I got fed up. So I emailed FBI Director Christopher Wray. His office bounced me to the Public Affairs Office, which bounced me back to the FBI's intransigent FOIA office. Here's what I wrote, quote, I'm seeking images developed from a disposable camera recovered as part of a massive investigation of immense public interest. The images were already shown to a reporter. I described them in detail, they are extremely unique, and yet the FBI's response is that the records sought are not detailed enough to find their location. How is that possible? Unless I'm missing something, 
and I'm trying to give the Bureau a fair chance to respond here, I interpret that as either stonewalling my request or that the Bureau's system for storing 9-11 evidence is so disorganized it can't locate these images, in which case, past these specific photos, this becomes a bigger story. The FBI responded, quote, Good afternoon. The records sought are not detailed enough to find their location. As such, it would be unduly burdensome to pull and review thousands of files. Respectfully, Public Information Officer. The FBI has consistently been a nightmare to work with, and not just in this case. It's been sued multiple times over its FOIA practices. Regardless of your politics, you should care about this, because nobody benefits when the nation's premier law enforcement agency decides, more or less, that it doesn't give a shit about FOIA requests. To learn more about the disposable camera photos, I wrote to Donald Sockleben. In 2003, he was the agent in charge of the FBI's explosives unit, He's the person who showed the photos to Laura Sullivan, the Baltimore Sun reporter. Sockleben is now in prison. In 2013, he pleaded guilty to both child porn charges and to leaking classified information. I mailed him a letter in prison. He wrote back, quote, Mr. Walzak, I don't think there's much I can add to your information about those photos. As best I can recall, the film slash camera was found at the WTC site and sent to our lab for processing. I mentioned it in the Baltimore Sun article mostly because it was a unique item. I do not recall the name of any person associated with the camera. There were hundreds of thousands of photos related to the 9-11 investigation. I imagine these images are tucked away in some storage bin. Good luck with your endeavors. Sincerely, Donald Sockleben. I wrote again, pushing for details. He responded, quote, Dear Mr. Walzak, as you may know, I'm currently serving a term of incarceration for disclosure of national security information. While the items you seek may not be classified, I still do not feel comfortable discussing them. I gave the interview to the Baltimore Sun with the full knowledge and authorization of the FBI. I no longer hold that authority. Good luck with your endeavors. Sincerely, Donald Sockleben. There was one final person to interview, the only civilian to ever see these photos. I'm Laura Sullivan. I'm a correspondent with NPR. I started out as a print reporter, and one of my first real jobs in journalism was as a two-year intern at the Baltimore Sun, and that turned into a real job at the Baltimore Sun, which is where I was on 9-11. I was a reporter in Baltimore. So I was covering—this is back in the heyday of newspapers, and we had all kinds of resources. And there was actually a beat where you covered the National Security Agency and the Naval Academy, which were like our local agencies in that area of our of the Baltimore Sun readers. And so that was my beat. And I remember the morning sort of hearing it on the radio, actually. I mean, as print reporters, you know, we sort of start our day late and ended it late. And I remember jumping in my car and sort of driving down to Annapolis, not really sure what I was going to be covering at all. The next day, they sent me to Washington, and I never left after that. And so I started covering the Justice Department, Homeland Security Department, and all kinds of terrorism and the FBI. And it was crazy. It was every single day for for months and months and months. It just never ended. And so, you know, that brings us to this this article. So I, I email you out of the blue this year, and I say, uh, I want to talk to you about an article you wrote 18 years ago. Did you kind of just wonder, like, what is, what is this? Yeah, <laughs> what no, is this about? I was like, oh my God, what did I possibly write? What did I do now? 
what could it have been? <laughs> Some whole, I mean, you're just, you're saying, oh God, it must have, I must have just done something crazy 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> so on December 21st, 2003, you wrote this article for The Sun, uh, headlined, FBI team puts together pieces from scenes of terror bombings. When I asked you about the article, did you remember it immediately or did you have to go dig around for it? I had a sudden flash of being in the FBI's evidence area, and I thought, I think there was some, I did some sort of story about, uh, the thing that came to my mind when you said something about the camera was picturing Mohammed Ada's suitcase. I don't know. I I was like, I don't really remember this story at all. I'm not sure I remember too much about it, but I had a flash of Mohammed Ada's suitcase. And I was like, I think there was some sort of story. And then I went and looked for it. I couldn't find it. <laughs> I was like, I didn't know what to search for. I was like, Laura Sullivan's son, camera? Like, it was like, there was no <laughs> way to even find the story. So then, thankfully, you sent it to me. So then it, and then it came sort of rushing back. I don't remember, you know, it's like you, you just have little pieces, you know, you've done thousands of stories and I just have little pieces of that. After I read the story, I remember the room. I remember that suitcase. I don't know why that left such an impression on me. I think because it was like, you know, this, it was like brand new because I never made it onto the flight and, You know, it just was so creepy. Here was Muhammad Atta's suitcase. And then I remember him showing me the photos. So walk me into that evidence bay. What was this big cavernous warehouse? What what do you remember of it? So weirdest thing is I can't remember where I was. Was I in Virginia? Was I in Maryland? I'm sure I didn't get on a plane for this story. They wouldn't have never paid for that. So <laughs> it was somewhere in the vicinity of D.C. And I do remember it took a long time to get these sort of this sort of access to these interviews. But this was my beat, you know, covering the FBI. And I was always asking to do features, especially when you're sort of at the sun, you got to fight against the big dogs at the Times and the Post, and and they're already always trampling all over you. So the more features you do, the more people you get to know. And so I was always asking for things like this. And I was always, like, taking random tours of things. Whenever they had a tour, I was like, I'll go. And, uh, you know, blood drive, I'll go. This is the kind of stuff I did a lot of. And I remember it was a giant room. It was very clean, and it was very gray. That's my memory of it. I remember walking downstairs. It was just, like, concrete and metal and big and gray and open. And uh, I barely remember the, the guy, Satchel Ben, at all. And he comes across like a really great character in my story, sort of tragic the way that ended. But then he just went through the the stuff. There was just piles of stuff, like like plastic tubs, like labeled plastic tubs of stuff that they had, which I found riveting, just sort of like the little details of the day. And then I remember him showing me these photographs, which really struck me. The photographs themselves weren't that... These were not professional photos. These were just sort of like, they they weren't in and of them. It was like a man in sort of a beige outfit standing by a window. That's like my memory of these photos. I remember the birthday party thing too. But it wasn't like a dramatic photo. It was just sort of the emotional pull of them that they were taken in this moment of just tragedy. And so I just, I don't know, they just always, they that they resonated with me. It's interesting because 
So I, I read this article when I was 15. I was on a Christmas vacation with my family, and I, I saw it in the newspaper. I'm super uh, impressed you were reading the newspaper at 15, can I just say? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I was going to say. It dates me, too, because I actually cut it out of the paper. Um, I still have it somewhere. And then all these years later, I had to go figure out, well, I had these these three paragraphs, like, who wrote this? Where did this come from? You know, <laughs> but... Uh, and that that was the, the light reading I was doing around Christmas in 2003. But. I mean, yeah, you were in some kind of a dark place. <laughs> You're cutting out this, like, terrible thing. <laughs> <laughs> it stuck with me. I mean, it, it you know, all these years, I, I, I've saved that little piece of paper. So I've, I've wanted to talk to you more or less for the last 18 years. You know what I find so frustrating in reading this article now is the sentence that I wrote, apparently, where I said his family is aware of the photos but has not asked to see them. I'm like, what? Like, I want to go back and inquire more about that. What do you mean they don't want to see them? Are you sure you've showed them? Are you sure you've talked to them? Who is this family? I just, I'm frustrated with myself that I didn't follow up with that a little bit more. Like, you know, I just took his word for it when he said, well, we we let the family know that we have these, but they have not asked to see that. I don't know. I don't know why that, it, it, it's something about it doesn't sit with me right. You know, it's interesting. All these years, I, I had to actually go back and find the article. So I didn't remember who wrote it. I just knew I had this little piece of paper that described the d- disposable camera. But I always wondered, like, why didn't this reporter follow up. Like, it's such a fascinating little tidbit. It immediately captivated me. Um, So that, and and then as soon as I found out that you wrote the article, and and I'm like, oh, well, she went on to a very distinguished career where she had you know, three three Peabody's and a lot of serious investigative work. That's why <laughs> that's why she didn't follow up on the disposable camera. But I um, think it's you know, because I saw the photos. I think there was kind of a sense of like, okay, I've seen them, and you know, they, I remember them not being like very. The photos themselves were not the thing that was gripping. You know, it was literally like a man in a construction outfit or in something beige standing in front of a window. It wasn't like he was like holding up a sign saying goodbye to his family or, you know, taking pictures of people huddled in a corner. It wasn't like that. There was no there was no drama to the actual photographs themselves. It's like he took a picture of the building burning across the street. So like what you would imagine, I guess you would do if you didn't think you were necessarily going to die, but you maybe were getting sense. I don't, I'm just, you know, I'm just extrapolating like what he might've been thinking. Like he had a camera on him, the building is hit, he takes some photos and then things turn for the worse for him. So maybe for that, I was like, it's, it wasn't the photos themselves, but that it captured this moment that was his last moments that he didn't really know when he was taking the photos were his last moments. It's interesting, though, because you say it doesn't capture anything dramatic, but it's a high level view of one of the towers burning. And you wrote in the article that it also shows people falling out of the towers. So, And I don't remember that as well. But yeah, that's what I must have seen. And they captured other jumpers falling. He must have been taking a picture of the maybe the jumpers in the other building or the jumpers in his building falling. It's interesting because obviously I've told you I've tried to obtain the photos for literally 11, 11 years now. But even if obviously if I got them, I wouldn't just immediately publish some. There's this huge ethical question of what to publish. But since I haven't seen them, as far as I know, you're the only civilian who's ever seen the photos. And I'll also tell you that 
literally nobody knows they exist. So your article came out at at an interesting moment because it was right at the dawn of social media. And it's very hard to see that detail escaping people today. But at the time, you know, nobody remembers this article. You couldn't even find it. Like, I had to go digging for it. And so, like, I've interviewed Kevin Flynn, who who co-wrote 102 Minutes. I interviewed the chief curator of the 9-11 Museum. I've talked to authors. Zero people that I've talked to are aware of these photos. And from my perspective, what part of why it captivated me is because so few photos and, and videos were captured in the towers on 9-11 that because it was this turning point in technology, I actually went through and found every single photo and video that I could, including confir- confirmed and unconfirmed photos and videos. And it was less than 50. I think it was 49. So these are a really presumably, ta- you know, he, he died, so presumably taken above the point of impact. So these are really unique view of a monumental moment in American history that we've never seen before, taken high up in the towers. There's there's nothing like them. Um, and I think when I read that, I mean, you've seen the photos, but I think that when people learn about these photos again, there's just going to be this really strong, I don't want to say morbid curiosity because it's beyond it's beyond that because it's such a different point of view of history. What else do you remember about them? Did they, I, I mean, you remember were just so- that I did not know who it was and he did not tell me. And I already knew that I was like in a special space and there was only so much I could push. I definitely never knew who this camera belonged to or who or who or even who took the photo. I mean, who, you know, is the birthday party the same thing? It was, there wasn't like a lot of clarity and there wasn't and, and there was still a real sense. I mean, this was just two years after there was a real sense that this stuff was very private, that this belonged to the grieving families of the victims and that it was not to be chased down or that I was not supposed to go knock on someone's door and say, why don't you want to see these photos? Or did they even know? Do you know these photos? It was like I was lucky to be there in the first place looking at the toothbrushes of the hijackers. I mean, I mean, where are the toothbrushes? I guess I, you know, and this part of this doesn't surprise me at all, by the way, because I'm working on this story that this not that's about 9/11 and the FBI cannot find the only known video of the 9/11 hijackers at a apartment party in Los Angeles about 9 months before the attack. It is the only known video of the hijackers. Multiple people saw it from the 9/11 commission and they have lost it. They have lost, let me repeat this, they have lost the only video of Hamzi and Midhar, who were in Los Angeles before the attacks, and they no longer have any idea where this video is. This video existed. It's 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 in a footnote of the 9-11 Commission. The 9-11 Commission people saw it. It was a real thing, and it is totally gone. They have no idea where this thing is. I don't know how you lose, like, I, I mean, I get, there's a lot of evidence from this. I'll give them that. But, like, disposable camera. They lost the video of the hijackers before the attacks. So I don't know where this stuff goes. I mean, I actually, I do after all these years of covering law enforcement that somebody needs it for something else and then they put it in a different box and then somebody takes it home because they want to review the evidence and now it's in somebody's basement and then somebody dies and then they send it out to 1-800-JUNK or whatever. 
that's what happens to this stuff. It's interesting because that's the other big issue here. So part of this, part of what interests me is obviously the images themselves. But yeah, I, I thought the same thing. I mean, I didn't know that about the video, obviously. That's that's it's kind of incredible because I, I already scripted this episode. This is the last piece of it before we put it together. And that that's something that I raised too, is just how is this evidence stored? How is it cataloged? Like, I, I didn't know I didn't know that about the video, but even these images, the res- I've always gotten a no when I filed FOIA requests, which, you know, from the FBI doesn't surprise me. But uh, but the different excuses every time, and the most recent was we wouldn't be able to locate these without manually sorting through thousands of files and thousands of boxes. And I hesitated to use at first the, the word lost, but it, it, like I, I joke in the show, like if, if I ask you, you know, where are your car keys? And you say, oh, well, I'm going to go search through 3,000 boxes to find them. Like you lost them. <laughs> <laughs> They're kind of lost. Well, the yeah. other thing is those 3,000 photographs, it's been 20 years. They belong to the American public. These things should be accessible, foyable, and open to public viewing at this point. There's not a lot of secrets that need to be kept after 9-11. And I guess I'm obviously a journalist, but I I just feel that this belongs in the public sphere. And if there are thousands of photographs from 9-11, then we should be able to see them and, and people should be able to review them for just this reason so that we can track down exactly what happened that day and what that experience is, was like so that we don't forget it. Yeah, absolutely. And beyond these photos specifically, there's still so many unanswered questions, obviously, about the hijackers, about possible foreign ties to, to Saudi Arabia, about... I was looking at the the timeline of the hijackers recently. I was just in Portland, Maine a few months ago, and I drove by the um, motel where they stayed uh, on September 10th. And, and and there's just, you know, there's still the... Why were they in Portland? Like, there are, Otto was in Portland. There, there's so many unanswered questions. Um, I agree with you, 100%. <laughs> I'm working on that right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I guess I'll, I'll ask you, in terms of the FBI, obviously you have much more experience working with this kind of stuff than I do. Am I, I want to be fair to the FBI. Am I missing something? Or like I, 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 like I said, I hesitated to use the word lost, but I've tried for 11 years and they've thrown a million different excuses at me. And it just, by their own admission, they can't find these, these images. And you're telling me they can't also find a video that was cited in the 9-11 report. Um, is, is there something I'm missing? Or is this just like, is there a, do you think that there's a bigger systemic problem with how 9-11 evidence was cataloged and handled? I think that's an excellent question. And I mean, I do. I, I wish I knew the answer to it. I'd say the fact that there isn't just a very clear outline of what there is and where it exists, then yeah, there's a problem with how this evidence was handled over time. It was a sprawling investigation. This was the largest investigation in in FBI history, and it's warehouses full of stuff. But there's really no excuse for not knowing at this point exactly what you have, where it is, and what it means. So I'm sure in, you know, the years that I've covered them, this is a budget issue. This is a resources issue. It takes people. It takes space. It takes, you know, you got to rent these things. And there's sometimes there's not always a will to keep all of that. And then you also have to have somebody. I mean, you basically need a library of people to organize it all and put it into some kind of form that people can can find it. But what I think is somewhat it's very hard for them to defend is why there aren't copies. There should have been copies of these photos. There should have been copies of these video, of the video. And that I don't understand at all. Are you still trying to obtain or find the video? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's gone, though. It's gone. Like, they've pretty much acknowledged a, 
And then then the legal case that they're in right now that they can't find it. (laughs) Huh. Okay. Well, (laughs) these photos in in particular, you know, like I said, uh, uh, nobody that I've talked to knows about them. And from the the point of history, I, I guess I would ask you, would you want to see them again? If you had if you had the opportunity, I'm assuming the answer is yes. Yes, I definitely would like to see them again. And I think the rest of the public should see them too. I just hope that all of this evidence is somewhere. You know, I hope these photos and I hope their toothbrushes and I hope all of it has been kept somewhere. Because while it feels like it's just a like a macabre like kind of look into a tragedy that caused so much pain to somebody and it feels like you're just like stuck in the details. It's in the details that that all the information is. It's like I think over time and over the decades that pass, like 9-11 will become just this thing that happened in history and it, you know, it's going to end up like kids are going to watch it and, you know, oversimplified years from now. And it's just going to become this kind of this moment that that isn't real anymore. And there's something in these details and and actually looking at the, the belongings of the hijackers and the belongings of the victims on that day that make it real and that make people understand that this was this horrific thing that our country endured and is still dealing with 20 years later. And that's why all of these things are so important and we can't lose them. And we need to make sure that they're available so that people can see them because it brings you back in such a real way. Homework. One, if you know the name of the Bloomberg photographer who left windows on the world right before the attacks began, please contact us. Two, if you work on the Hill, if you're a reporter, or if you're a concerned citizen, fight for FOIA reform, especially as it pertains to the FBI. The Bureau should be more transparent. It shouldn't be allowed to indiscriminately trample over FOIA law with vapid excuses. And if you're a national security or DOJ reporter, Ask the FBI about how it handled, cataloged, and stored 9-11 evidence, about why it can't locate specific unique photos, evidence, without manually sorting through thousands of files. You can reach us by phone at 1-833-NEW-TIPS. That's 1-833-639-8477. Again, 1-833-639-8477. Or you can reach us via email at tips at iheartmedia.com. That's tips, T-I-P-S, at iheartmedia.com. Also, we obtained unique, unpublished 9-11 audio, which we plan to share with you soon. So keep an eye on our feed. Ben Bolin is our executive producer. Paul Deccan is our supervising producer. Chris Brown is our assistant producer. Seth Nicholas Johnson is our producer. Sam Teagarden is our research assistant. And I'm your host and executive producer, John Walzak. Cover art by Pam Peacock. Donald Sockleben, voiced by Ben Bolin. Special thanks to Tamika Campbell at iHeart and to Christoph Zapri in New Orleans. Also, thank you to Ben Chia, Kevin Flynn, Laura Sullivan, and Aesop Rock. I highly recommend Kevin's book, 102 Minutes, The Unforgettable Story of the Fight to Survive Inside the Twin Towers. Original theme music by Aesop Rock. Check out Aesop's website at aesoprock.com. If you like this show, check out our first season, Missing in Alaska, about the 1972 disappearance of two congressmen. Missing on 9-11 is a co-production of iHeartRadio and Greenfort Media.
Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom to do your deal. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, or simply soak up the sun and sand in a tropical paradise, Cheap Caribbean Vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive Budget Beach Finder or find a featured all-inclusive package to Generations Riviera Maya Resort and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com.